0: And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week.
1: Good morning, Sunridge, and thank you, worship team, for leading us. Uh, It's good to be with you today. My name is Danny Sugimoto. You can have a seat where you are. I serve here as one of the pastors on staff, specifically to our wonderful middle school students. Uh, And I have the privilege of kicking off this brand new series that we are in that's called Breakthrough. Uh, But before we start there, you know, youth ministry, we love object lessons. I don't do a very good job of doing them often. So today, we're going to kick things off with a little bit of an object lesson. So, here it is. What is this? A Bible. Bible. Perfect, perfect. What is the Bible? The Word of God? Okay. What else is it? The story of Jesus? The story of Jesus? Anything else? The truth? The The God's truth instructions? Yeah, this is a Bible that you see in front of you. Some of you might know that I went to uh, a Bible college, and this is the one that I received in 2008. It is the HarperCollins Study Bible. And if you're new to the church, you might have been able to infer that it is a Bible because here in the Christian tradition, uh, the Bible is our go-to text. It is our sacred text. Uh, But if you wanted to just say, you know, this is a Bible, you could actually get a little bit more general with what this book is. You could say, well, it's not just a Bible. It's not just one document. It's actually a collection of documents. You might consider it to be a library even. But we start there. uh, We start with addressing what the Bible is, what this object in my hands is, uh, because many of us struggle with our relationship to this text, Uh, especially certain parts, certain uh, areas within the Bible as a whole. And so there there can be a lack of clarity about uh, what the Bible is for us, about how it is and how we might approach it. And so we start there. We start with understanding what the Bible is, addressing this text, because I can speak from my experience that many of my peers Many of my friends, many of the people that I care about deeply, perhaps many of yours as well, are knee deep in this concept known as deconstruction. Uh, they're in this space, uh, I, I believe sometimes, because the answers that they've received about this text, about the scripture, about the word of God, uh, for whether that's from childhood or into their adulthood, uh, those things that they've learned about that text haven't been satisfying the questions that they have. Oftentimes, we're taught to approach Scripture as a means to an end. We, we treat it like this way of proving our faith. If we can just memorize enough verses, people will know we're real. If we can stick to that 4.30 a.m. quiet time before we commute off to work, people will know that we're genuine Christians. If we can just, just do that. And if it's not this, this idea uh, of approaching it as a means to an end, then we, we might approach it as a manual, right? The Bible. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> and if it's not a manual approach, then we might treat it as a measuring stick with which, through which we filter our world and we assign the value of biblical to all the things that we happen to agree with uh, individually just to prove that God is on our side. I'm not here to tell you that the way that you've been brought up, those traditions where you've been raised to approach the text a certain way, I'm not here to say that those are wrong. I'm not here to say that if you've done any of the aforementioned examples that you are a bad Christian or a bad person, uh, this isn't going to be a collection of moralistic judgments towards you and how you've approached the text in the past. All I'm doing is attempting to raise one question. Is that the best we can do? When it comes to this sacred text, this Bible, these series of words that have been preserved for us throughout thousands of years, are any of those pathways the best way that we can choose to approach God's word? We have this one text that's been preserved in various forms throughout the years. And so for this month, that's what we're going to do. We're going to work through this series that we have called Breakthrough and we are going to approach scripture and we're going to study why we approach it the way we do. We're going to learn what it is, how it was composed. We're going to be moving in and out of the Old and New Testaments. We'll be taking a look at church history and we'll be seeing the ways that God continues to inspire, to challenge, and to grow us through the words and the stories and the letters that are contained within this book because each and every single one of us We're just trying to get answers to our questions, because we all have questions. And if you don't have questions, uh, please come talk to me, because I'd love to hear how you got there, uh, because I constantly have questions about everything. Uh, How does this work? Like, why does this function the way that it does? We all have questions. They might pertain to questions about morality, questions about our choices, questions about sexual ethics, questions about somebody else's behavior, questions about how to raise your kids or how to get your kids to listen to you, how to listen to parents, how to be honest with your loved ones, how to work through anxiety. And when we're in those situations, uh, our first instinct is to go to the text and be like, hmm, what does the Bible say to do? I'm feeling this way. What does the Bible say to do? And that's a fine question. But this morning, I think a better question, and the ones that we are going to be working through, seek to understand the Bible, seek to understand God, and seek to understand our relationship here on earth. These are questions like, who is God? And how do I get to where God is? Who is God and what would God ask of me here in this moment? Who is God and how does, or what does scripture tell us about God's character? How does the Bible reveal God's character? And what does all of this, if anything, mean for me? What does it say about me and my role here on earth? In essence, if we boil all this down into one question, I think the question that we need to consider is where is the Bible taking us? From Genesis to Revelation, where is the Bible taking us? Because all of us are going somewhere in our faith. It is very rare for us to reach a point and think, I'm good. I don't need to grow anymore. Like, I'm a, I'm a good, perfectly godly person. Most of us are trying to become better, to do better, to live better. We see an end goal for ourselves, and the problem then becomes about creating a map to get us to that destination. And so this morning, that is the angle that we are going to take. We're going to walk through the Old Testament. And we're going to take this kind of elevated perspective, not an enlightened perspective, but one that's just a little bit higher up than being in the trenches, verse by verse. And we're going to view this sacred text from this this hovering perspective and multiple perspectives, actually, to catch a glimpse of the trajectory of the story, to just see the curve of that narrative so that we might better understand where God has been taking us all along. And if you have a note sheet with you, you might notice that uh, it's really simple, There are four lines and a bunch of spaces. That's intentional. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't feeling lazy this week and thought, yeah, I'm just going to phone it in. Uh, No, uh, as much as I wanted to. Uh, I didn't do that, I promise. Uh, That is simply, those spaces simply exist for you to have uh, a space to write your questions, to write your thoughts as they come up, to Perhaps take notes. Uh, there are voices. If you're like me, hopefully, maybe oh, no, maybe not. Actually, don't be like me. Uh, if you're like me, there, as you're reading or learning something, there are probably a like, voice that pops up in your head, and you think like, oh, I've got a question, and you need to like write it down because if you don't write it down, you forget. Uh, that space is there for you to write down. What if? How does this change me at all? Does this matter? It's a space for you to write out any challenges that you might have to anything that I present to you, things that I might say that you happen to disagree with. And because we're going to cover a lot of ground today, I'm not going to get to everything. I'm not going to get to everything. I'm not going to address everything that I possibly could in the entirety of the Old Testament, but hopefully in your life groups, you can look back at this, this paper of notes and you can start to ask those questions and discover answers together. And if I do say something that you happen to disagree with, uh, you can send any concerned emails to Lisa Owens. Uh, She's already, like, volunteered to reply to those for me directly with her own thoughts. Uh, But now, let's get to our text. And like all great narratives, all great stories, we are going to actually start at the beginning with creation. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face Of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Our Bible, our sacred text, opens with this story about God creating something. In the beginning of all things, God is simply present in this world that's understood to be empty. It's this chaotic void that is completely removed of structure and form. It's dark, it's deep, it's full of water. And God takes this shapeless chaos and speaks over it. God speaks for light to shine and then we have our first instance of creation as light enters the dark pierces through this void, and we become aware of the absence of light. God breaks through the darkness to create something new, and that's just the first creation account because just a few pages over in Genesis chapter 2, there's a second account of creation, starting in in verse 4. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, And there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. And God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And then just a little bit later uh, in verse 18, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there's not a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The first interaction that God holds with the world is to make something else. God takes what is already there, what is seemingly without purpose, without promise, without a future, dormant, formless, chaotic, and God brings structure to that thing. With words and with breath, God breaks through in creation. Through this first act of creating, and bringing something new into existence, we begin to learn so much about what type of being this God is. The stories here have similarities with other religions of this early age. uh, But from this presentation, we witness God as one who draws distinction, who draws distinction. God separates light from dark, land from water, day from night, and more than just these empirical distinction, God takes notes of what is and what is not good. And the moment that God encounters something that is not classified as good, God attempts to fix it, to find a solution. God is a problem solver, empathetic to his creation. This is a God who wants to be a part of something. This isn't a God who's going to set things in motion and then walk away. There's an attachment here with this God, a giving of self to keep things close, to keep things whole. There's concern and connection. There's commitment and I think this is why the image of God walking through the garden, searching for Adam and Eve has been preserved for us in chapter 3 because God is with creation. God is here. God is there. God has built something and is enjoying time with it. This is the fullest image of our individual and collective images of our relationship with God, dwelling in the same space, physically and spiritually. And when you think about it, like is isn't that the kind of place you want to return to. you. When we think about heaven, we think about this place where we are physically and spiritually in the same realm as God. That's the place that we all wish to know deep inside the space where we can be face to face with God and ask our questions, present our concerns, hear the wisdom of God, experience the fullness of the majesty. So the Bible opens and it grounds us in the origin of all things, the birthplace of all creation. Our story begins and we are already at perfection. But things don't stay that way, which is heartbreaking for us. But the good news is that this shows us that God's relationship with the world isn't just about building new things, That God wishes to also influence the lives of what has been created, even when we can no longer be in physical proximity with God which takes us to the next way that God connects to the world and breaks through. And that also the next chapter of our story, we see that God breaks through in written word. God breaks through in written word. Genesis records God's creation. Genesis records God's relationship with Abraham. And then it ends with the Israelites leaving, heading into Egypt under the guidance of Joseph. That is Genesis. Exodus, the next the book of the Bible covers God's relationship with the Israelites from within Egypt. No longer free people, these Israelites have become slaves under a new Pharaoh, yet through a series of miracles and plagues, these Israelites have been freed from their slavery and released to walk towards a new land, to walk towards a new hope for their lives, a new space that will serve as a faint echo of the Garden of Eden. It's similar, but not quite the same. There's still an aspect of separation present within it. And So these people follow their leader, Moses, throughout the desert. And the whole way while they're wandering, God is providing for them, giving them food, giving them drink, giving them shelter and security. And then after wandering for all these years, they end up at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here at the base of this mountain, God speaks over all the people and he presents to them the Ten Commandments. And the people in response to this phantom voice coming out of nowhere, in response to the thunder and the lightning that God presents to them, these people kind of panic. And they look at Moses and they say, you're our leader. We don't know what to do here. Please go up that mountain. Please go talk to that God, that being that is speaking to us. Go be our ambassador and speak for us. Be our voice. And so Moses ascends this mountain. And for 11 and a half chapters in the book of Exodus, God is speaking to Moses, giving him laws, giving him order, giving him laws for how to treat the holy places of God, laws for how to treat the people that they happen to purchase as slaves. Laws concerning violence, concerning property, justice, the Sabbath, festivals, the tabernacle, this portable dwelling place of God, and so much more. And up and down, Moses went up this mountain, down back to the people. God speaking to him, God commanding him. Moses returning to the base of the mountain, relaying this information to the people to bless them with the words God had given them. And at one point, Moses goes to the people presents all this information to them, all these things that God has been establishing as law. And the people, it says, with one voice, committed themselves to following after God. And so Moses begins to write down these laws, to write down these expectations because he understands their importance. He understands the importance of having a formalized, concrete version of what is happening here, what has been said explicitly by God. And then at the end of Exodus 31, we read this. When God finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, I'll get there eventually, (laughs) he gave him two tablets of the covenant, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. In response to all these things that he's been giving Moses, all these words that he's been relaying to them, God gifts him two tablets. God takes a finger provides these followers, these people who are vulnerable, who are afraid, these people who are are just awestruck by God. He he provides them a written order of what's to happen, written expectations, written explanations of their behavior, where they are supposed to go, who they are supposed to be. God gives them this moral code that would eventually be expanded to comprise 613 laws through Deuteronomy and Leviticus. 613 laws meant to keep these followers of God distinct from the world around them. Or in other terms, meant to keep them holy. God gives them a code and says, this is how you be holy. This is how you be set apart. God provides written, concrete evidence of the words spoken to Moses, these stone tablets that the people could display as a reminder of the covenant, as a reminder of the God that they serve, as a reminder of the God who brought them out of Egypt, as a reminder of the God who has provided for them over and over while they've been wandering through the wilderness. No other copies existed. You couldn't go online and download an app. It was this, these two tablets of stone, this special thing. God gives it to them, a new thing for these people. These rules and laws were written down and codified so that these Israelites and the generations who followed after them would know and understand what it looks like to follow God. They could know what it means to be holy people. They could know what it means to be different and set apart. God gifted them this, so that they could be different from those communities. So when people from beyond their communities saw the ways that they were living, they could point back to God and say, I'm doing this because of these words that were given to me by this God, this deity that I worship. Through these written words, through these laws, God is setting boundaries on human parameters. Punishment and vengeance were no longer up to humans to decide on their own. No longer could we just escalate a situation simply because there was something selfishly that we wanted over the person. God has closed that door on selfish living and set new standards through these written rules, these written words. And in doing so, God has empowered people to live in an elevated way. And God has challenged the people to demonstrate their faithfulness, their care, their commitment to their God, to their community through these words. And just like it was in the garden, God is expecting. God is respecting relationship. God is respecting there to be a mutuality in this compromise, in this working together. There'd be give and take reciprocation. God broke through and written word so that people could participate in this new life. And again, we see God's compassion towards creation because we've all been in situations uh, where someone places an expectation on us and then maybe doesn't actually ever communicate that expectation to us. Or, or worse, they don't just define the limits of what contains that thing, where it, and then it becomes up to us to kind of test the limits, to test the boundaries. How far is too far? And this is a key function of adolescence. It's asking questions. It's challenging your parents, learning to understand the boundaries, the limits of the system in place so that you can move forward together in peace. And with that method of learning together, of growing something up together, there's frustration. There's anger. I know this because I have a three-year-old. And It's like, buddy, you're not getting M&Ms at four in the morning. That's not happening. But when you're building something with somebody else, when you've committed yourself to each other to learn how to set this new thing apart, there's going to be pain. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be challenge. That's what Theo is doing right now. He's challenging me. He's learning to grow. He's learning to feel everything out because every situation is new. And when you build something together with somebody else, these feelings of awkwardness and frustration are simply a byproduct of what you're doing. But God sees us. And God has compassion on creation. And in response to the compassion that God feels, he then defines the limits before we ever step foot close to a boundary, before we find them ourselves. God spells it all out, all these rules and laws that we can be held accountable to ourselves. God speaks these words and then writes them down so that we can have a record of the limitation and where it lives. And even still, humanity finds a way to drift off, to get off course. God speaks the Ten Commandments over all of Israel, over all the people. They see Moses ascend Sinai over and over. He receives these two stone tablets, and the whole time he's up there, even after hearing the voice of God, seeing the power and the thunder and the lightning, even after all of this, the people are down below, melting down their gold, building a golden calf that they can worship, that they can attribute for saving them. They can look at this golden calf and say, You're our leader. You're the one that we want. You're the one who's done this for us, even still with written word, with this thing written directly by the finger of God. The people would need more of God on earth. They would need more of God's messages because of how quickly we all just wander, how quickly we get off track from our goals. Written words can sit in the center of our homes. We can put them outside of our courthouses. We can uh, vaguely include them in our constitutions. We can put them in a folder of apps on our phone that we never seem to look at because we simply don't have enough time, but we're regularly hitting our screen time limit on Instagram and TikTok. We can tuck written words away. We can hide them from our sight. So God looked for people. For people to speak these words as ambassadors, God looked for people to enter into their cities to proclaim a message, to bear witness to God's word in the same way that Moses proclaimed every message from that mountaintop. And so God went looking for prophets, went looking for witnesses, and in doing so, we get to see how God breaks through in spoken word. Long before there was ever a written word. The primary method for communication, for God to talk with humanity was to speak to them. It was spoken word. God spoke with Adam and Eve in the garden. God spoke to Abram. God spoke to Moses. So this isn't a new thing for us. It's just uh, an extension, an expansion on a previous chapter. God looks for a mouthpiece, someone to speak directly to the people. And throughout the Old Testament, there are these stories of these prophets who've been specifically chosen by God to deliver a specific message to a specific community at a certain time in history. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, and so many more. And we often think of prophets as people who spent their time predicting the future, calling out future events, pointing and going, yeah, 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 that's the thing. More often than not, though, that's not what a prophet does. More often than not, a prophet is simply delivering a message, proclaiming a message that God has gifted that prophet about the community's action or the community's inaction. And so the role of these prophets was to just be a member, to be a person, to be invested in your community, and then to go forth and proclaim the message God had given them. And often this message uh, contained a call to repentance, a call to return back to work, to return back to what their God was asking of them, a call to change their behavior and their habits. And if people ignored the words of the prophets, the prophet would also say, there are consequences coming. God is asking you to do this thing and you can choose to accept it or deny it, but either way, consequences might be coming for you, for violating the covenant of faith. And so these prophets were responsible for standing in that gap between God and their own communities and just pointing back to the written word, pointing back to their sacred text, pointing back to the things that God had already spoken to them. Their job was to redirect their people, their leaders, their own priests back towards the path that led to God, that led to holiness. They're sounding the alarm, flashing all of the warning lights and shouting, this is getting out of control. We have to change things now. Their goal was to relay a message. Their goal was to proclaim words God gave to them, to attempt to remind people of the covenant, the covenant they were born into, the covenant that God made with their ancestors. And this wasn't an easy job to do. When I was a kid, I used to think, man, it'd be so cool to be a prophet, to talk with God. And then I started reading about the prophets, and I went, oh. It was not always fun. Imagine having to walk into... The White House, the place of your leadership, your boss's office at work, where there's there's an investment there. And having to say, this thing you're doing, this company that you're running, nah, you're wrong. (laughs) And if you don't change your ways, something horrible is going to happen, like you're going to go bankrupt or whatever. That is essentially what these prophets are doing. They're entering into these spaces. They're challenging their leadership. They're challenging their people. They're giving them a message that nobody ever wants to hear the message that you are wrong that you are doing things incorrectly. There is a cost for entering that throne room, entering that place of business, entering that house and telling that person, you are doing it wrong. And God told me this directly. These prophets are the mouthpiece of God, gifted with this word. Uh, Jeremiah, in one of his confessions, writes that the words of God are burning like a fire shut up in his bones. He has to speak. He is compelled to speak. He cannot stop himself because these words, this message that God has gifted to him, is burning him alive from the inside. God breaks through in spoken words that we might hear His message. that we might hear another word and another form from God. God breaks through in spoken words so that we might understand the reality. The implication of our choices, so that we might know the consequences, so that we might have another shot at redemption and reconciliation. God breaks through and spoke in spoken words that we can be reconnected to the source. So these prophets proclaim that message. They speak these words of God, they beckon us from the outside to return to our homes, to remember the written word, to remember the goal of returning to that garden. Back in Genesis. To remember the compassion, the faith, the grace of our God, the creator of all things. So God breaks through in the world using real people to speak a real message in the hopes that we would listen and repent and realign our lives. God places real people into these cities in the hopes that we might empathize with them and listen to them because you can hide a book, you can hide an app, you can hide a text, but it's harder to hide people, to ignore them and push them aside. God uses these people in the hopes that humanity would return. And yet, they don't. Prophets came with their message regarding humanity's relationship with God, the relationship of these kingdoms, these people with their creator, the pending consequences, the destruction of the city, and nothing changed. The consequences came, people exiled, the temple destroyed, but a remnant remained something new was needed even still and the narrative continues book of malachi see i'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight indeed he is coming says the lord of hosts but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts, but you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? God gifts a few more thoughts through the prophet Malachi, and then the letter ends, a few more thoughts, and then 400 years of waiting in silence. A few more thoughts, and then that is the close of the Old Testament. A few more thoughts and then generations of followers are left looking around wondering, well, how will we return? How shall we return? Who does this speak of? Who is this messenger? Where will this messenger come from? What are they gonna look like? How are we gonna know this is actually the person that's promised to us? God has broken through in creation, broken through in written word, broken through in spoken words of the prophets. What could possibly be next? How shall we return? Because I wanna return. I want to get back to that garden. I want to get back to that place where God walks with creation. I want to get back to the space where I can dwell with my God in physical proximity Do you. Don't you? How shall we return? And hundreds of years later, 400 years later, in the beginning was the Word. and The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone And we've seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. How shall we return? A new creation. How shall we return? A new thing, a new covenant, a new light that has broken through in the world because the final way that God breaks through is God breaks through in being. God breaks through in being. And as the band returns to the stage, we can start to see the arc of the Old Testament. And we see through this arc that creation, the written words, the spoken words of the prophets all testify to a God who wants to participate in life with us, with creation. The tabernacle that Moses was instructed to build was a method for identifying the dwelling place of God where God's spirit chose to dwell the temple was built in Jerusalem as the centerpiece of the city the centerpiece of Jewish faith the dwelling place the house of God the written word was meant to show us what holiness could look like the spoken words of the prophets were meant to draw us nearer the trajectory of the old testament is to witness to a God who creates and who sustains and who beckons and heals and loves and guides it's it's the trajectory of the old testament is to display a God who is so committed to creation that God would lay everything aside so that anybody could experience a relationship with him. And then we see the culmination of all these things rising in expectation, rising in anticipation, and we see them develop in the person of Jesus. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, indeed. We see Jesus walk on earth. Through the incarnation, God enters into the world to walk among people again, to experience life with the people again, to suffer with people, to heal people, to give hope to people, to encompass all of the teachings of the written word, all of the teachings of the prophets, to be that person for us and so that we can have a renewed sense of purpose and direction. God chose to be here with us. How shall we return? Through the incarnation of Christ. God, entering this world to be with us, to be the word of God taking on human flesh, entering in to have relationship with us, unprompted by us, undeserved by us. God has chosen to break through to reveal an elevated way of living, one that is distinct, one that is full of compassion and creation, one that is full of hope and second chances, one that seeks humility over certainty. God has entered into the world which gives us cause to celebrate because God is not done with us. God has not stopped moving here. God has not stopped drawing us into new life. God is constantly beckoning us out, calling us forward into new creation. That's the story of the Old Testament. God is still at work. The God is not done. It didn't end in the garden. It didn't end at the base of Sinai. It didn't end in exile. There are new chapters to be written in your life. New ways for you to find yourself in the story of scripture, new beginnings for all of us. God has broken through for you to get to you, to be near to you because you are someone worth chasing. You are worth the pursuit. You are worth it all. You are worth celebrating. And speaking of celebrating, I'd like to make you aware of a special season that we're entering into is the season of Advent. So if you could take out your phones, this is real, I'll wait. You can take out your phone. You can open up that calendar app that you've got, whether it's Fantastic Cal or Android Calendar or whatever it is. And you can set an event for November 28th to Sunday right here in this building. 5 p.m.? 6 p.m., thank you. I should have verified that ahead of time. 6 p.m., November 28th, right here. We're going to be kicking off Advent which is a season of anticipation as we remember, participate in, and retell the story of Jesus breaking through into this world for our sake. We'll take time on that day to celebrate the birth of the fullness of the word of God here in this world and celebrate the story of a God who took on the weight and the burden of our sins that we could have renewed relationship, that we might get a glimpse of that garden, a chance to return to things. that's a few weeks away for now. We celebrate, we reflect on the trajectory of this section of scripture, one that has shown us what God is like. So let's go back to that question from the beginning. Where's the Bible taking us? Through the narrative of the Old Testament, we see God break through in creation, in writing, in spoken word, in Jesus coming into the world as himself, And all of this was done so that God could direct us to the fullness of his presence. It's all about taking us into new creation, about taking us into salvation, about taking us into a new life that feels more like the garden where our story began. It's about taking us into the arms of a savior who stepped in to break the cycle. The Bible is moving us towards a God of compassion, a God of empathy, a God of connectedness, a God of concern and character, towards a God who injects, order into chaos, who injects hope into the world, a God who genuinely desires to be with us, a God who's chosen to take action on our behalf, who breaks through on our behalf, The God is taking us towards a God who has broken through to get to you. Will you stand, join us in worship.
0: Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.